Batista, right? Uh, typically, we have a, uh, a breakfast. At that breakfast, I say, he is risen, and the congregation responds. Okay, that was kind of lame, so we'll try that one more time. He is risen. All right, amen. And uh, I'm glad that you are here this morning, or if you are listening online, I want to apologize for last week. Um, we lost internet about five minutes into our message, and so the stream went down. But hopefully that won't happen this morning. You missed a phenomenal sermon, the best one I've ever preached, but sorry, it's gone. You won't be able to hear it, but I uh, hope you were here uh, last week. But again, uh, we're just really glad that you're here. But let me ask you kind of a personal question. Why did you come this morning? Why are you listening if you're streaming right now? Um, there's a variety of answers that people give. And I was like, come on, Brett, it's Easter. You know, you got to go to church at least on Christmas, probably. And Easter, you know, it's it's good to have a little bit of religion, you know, to remind you that, you know, you're supposed to be moral. It's especially really good for the kids, for them to be exposed in in that way. Or you may be here and it's like, man, I was dragged here by my spouse. I try to usually stay home. But, you know, this Sunday I came out or a family member or a friend. And again, um, to me, this is a really important question to answer. Just uh, texting this morning, and you know when you text in, a word, little emojis pop up after it. And I texted in Easter, and the first three emojis, one was a bunny, one was an Easter egg, and then one was a, a, an Easter basket, you know? No empty tomb, no cross, nothing like that. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Christianity, Easter, it's all about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead after a brutal Roman execution. And this morning, we're not going to look at a, a text in Scripture that deals with the resurrection. Uh, we're going to look at a text that Jesus told his a few of his apostles, hey, don't talk about this until after I'm raised from the dead. And at that point in time, they didn't even really know what he was talking about, but they kept silent about this till after he was raised from the dead. And in the book of Second Peter, Peter was one of the guys that were there. And Peter says, we don't follow a cleverly devised myth, okay? But we experience the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ. And what he was talking about there was the event that takes place in this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, that Peter said this in our minds, once the resurrection had happened, this kind of solidified who this Jesus was. And I've called this message Jesus Trailer. And it's not that I'm thinking about Jesus having a double Y just outside of Jerusalem, but a trailer in terms of a movie trailer. Uh, a brief kind of snapshot or picture of what is to come in a much fuller way in the future. And I think that's what this passage deals with this morning. And it a, asks a question, and Jesus asks a question, but it's a question that's asked throughout this chapter is, who is this Jesus? Who am I? If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under one of the seats near you. In the foyer, there's a little bookshelf that has Christian resources out there, materials and stuff like that. If you're here this morning just kind of checking out Christianity, really glad you're here. Pick up anything back there that's of interest to you. We're just really 
glad that you are here. But this passage deals with this question, and it begins all the way back in verse 7 of Luke chapter 9. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch had heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. So Jesus was going out around, John had been executed, and then some were saying, Wow, this Jesus character, I think he's John raised from the dead. By some that Elijah the prophet had appeared. Remember the story of Elijah? He goes up to heaven kind of in this chariot. He never really fully died. So the expectation was, and Malachi, Elijah was going to return. So some are saying this Jesus character, he must be Elijah returned from the afterlife, basically. And by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. So again, there had been a reincarnation of of one of the prophets. Jesus was doing some amazing things, and so there were all these theories about who this, this Jesus was. Herod said, John I beheaded, okay, feeling maybe a little bit guilty about that, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So this question about who Jesus is is raised early in this chapter. Herod's saying, man, this Jesus guy is doing amazing stuff. I'm wondering who he is. Some are saying, it's John, you know, back from the dead. I beheaded that guy. That'd be a little bit frightening if that was the case, but I'm not really sure. And then we go on later. Jesus feeds 5,000, and then in verse 18, we pick up, and it says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And that kind of, it's, it's not that threatening a question, right? It's like, who's everybody else saying that I, that I am? And they answered, uh, John the Baptist. You know, that theory seemed to be going around a lot. Others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets that has been risen. So that, those three seem to be the current, you know, who is this Jesus guy? Well, that's probably who he is, one of these three. And then... You know, he asks them a little bit more personal question. But in our culture, if people are looking at Jesus, who does our culture say Jesus is? And again, like in this culture, I think there are a variety of answers. You know, one that, you know, he was just this really good, good teacher, right? He was this really good guy that came, that uh, was really a nice guy. He said, don't judge anybody, man, just love everybody, and I'm all about peace and harmony, and, and we're all about that, right? Another side says, you know, Jesus was this radical revolutionary that was fighting for social justice, and he got in the way of the religious power brokers of the day and the political power brokers of the day. They didn't want to put up with them, and he ended up being crucified because he was standing for what was right and just, then I think there's a whole bunch of people in our culture. It's like, whatever, I don't know. I don't care. You can never really figure it out anyhow. So what? I ain't going to worry about that. Jesus asked his disciples, who, who did the crowd say that I am? And then he gets a little bit more personal. And this is my first point, that I don't think Jesus is allowing any of us to remain neutral about who he is. I tell people Jesus does not allow for spiritual Switzerlands, right? There's no, well, let's see, I'm just going to kind of stay neutral about this Jesus character. Because Jesus gets a little more personal in going to 
the disciples in verse 20 of chapter 9. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? How would you answer that question this morning? I know the theories that are floating around out there in the Ethernet and type in Google, you know, who is Jesus, and they probably get 700 million hits and, you know, 15 different podcasts from 15 different points of view of people that may never have studied any of this stuff but proclaim these strong statements. But who do you say that Jesus is? To me, this is probably the most fundamental question we need to ask ourselves in life. It's one of those questions that to me is one of those epic questions of life. Because the answer to that question has what I think are epic consequences, right? If Jesus was just a good teacher and this event the resurrection, you know, we're just saying, well, it's kind of a myth, didn't really happen, then, you know, what he said is not really that binding on me. The dude's like, you know, 2,000 years old, he lived in a different culture, he doesn't know what's going on in our world today, so, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of somebody else, you know, like some of Buddha's teaching, you know, and I'm kind of agnostic about this, but I'm just going to kind of make it up as I go. Um... That's what I call the buffet Jesus of our culture, right? We look at Jesus, and you may read a little bit about him or hear somebody talk about him, and it said, you know, I really like this part of Jesus. You know, I like this part of Jesus that he's, he's getting on the religious hypocrites of the day. He's, he's dogging those people that are keeping the poor down and oppressed. I really like that. I like that part of Jesus saying, you know, we're just supposed to love one another. Man, I'm all about that. Not so into his teaching on you know material possessions and whatnot, consisting in abundance of your possessions. In our day and age, I really don't like his teaching on sexual ethics and you know there needs to be purity and the proper outlet for sex is in marriage. And man, that's just I'm sorry, but that's a little repressive, right? It's a little outmoded, outdated, and probably it's psychologically damaging and damaging to somebody if they live that. So I don't. I'm not going to pick up that part of what he taught, but I, I like this part of Jesus. And if Jesus was just a good teacher or a radical revolutionary, then yeah, fine. But if Jesus really rose from the dead, and if the events that we're going to talk about here really took place this morning, then Jesus is something much more than just a good teacher. He's the very son of God, God enfleshed. He conquered the grave. And if I don't recognize that, and if I don't answer this question, who is Jesus, in terms of who Jesus really is, Jesus was just a man, okay, not a big deal. If he is really the Son of God, then it's an epic fail to answer this question about who Jesus really is. And so he asked that question to his disciples. Who, who do you say that I am? And again, this is not at the very beginning of his association with these guys. He'd been with them for a while. He'd, they'd seen him do amazing miracles. They'd seen him walk on the water. They'd seen him do all these things. And then at that point in time, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers in verse 12, the Christ of God. Now, Christ is not a name. It's more of a title. 
Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew form Messiah, and both of those mean anointed one, that anointed one. And Peter's saying, you're the anointed one, you're the one that our scriptures talk about that's going to come, that's going to restore the glory to Israel, you're going to come in, you're going to take these Romans out. Israel will once again achieve national sovereignty and prominence. We will have power. We will no longer have to pay taxes. We will be in the ascendancy. And then moral righteousness will come in as we follow this new ruler to come. And so Peter got that right. This is who you are, Jesus. We recognize and I recognize that you're the Christ. But we'll see later on that all the implications of who this Christ was were not fully understood by Peter. Because later on when Jesus says basically, hey, I'm going to die and suffer and rise again, Peter's like, no, 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 no. That, that does not fit in my concept of who this coming anointed king, ruler, leader is going to be. So, so no, and Jesus says, get behind me. You don't really understand what's going on here, Peter. So Peter answers correctly, but Jesus, I think, is going to fill out that definition of who this Messiah is. Because you read the Old Testament, and you see there's two figures that are talked about in the Old Testament. One is this coming ruler, Messiah King. The other is this servant of God that's mentioned predominantly in the book of Isaiah. The passage that we read and um, we know was at least, you know, this was translated into Greek, the Hebrew hundreds of years before Christ was on this planet. So what we read this morning in Isaiah 53 was long before Christ came. So who is this servant? And very few Jews put together that this servant was also the Messiah. He was the Messiah King. It was to come and then he was going to give his life so that we could have life. He was going to take care of the sin problem. He bore our iniquities. He suffered in our place so that we could have life. And then after Peter confesses that, Jesus does some strange things. He strictly charged them and commanded them to tell no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed and on the third day raised. So he said, don't tell anybody this. Why? It's not yet the time for all of this stuff to be fulfilled. And by the way, the Son of Man, which is not Jesus' humble way of saying, I'm just a human being. It's the Son of Man from Daniel 7, the one that is coming. He said, that Son of Man, he's going to have to suffer and die and be rejected and rise again on the third day. And they're like, what? Messiahs don't die. Christ, don't die. What in the world is this, Jesus? And then he says to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And we read that and we hear so much about that. It's like, yeah, I like the cross. You know, I've got a cross, a little pendant. Or I've got a nice cross hat on my arm, you know. I like the cross, but the cross is, a, is an execution means in that day and age. It's like, you know, putting an electric chair around your neck. and like, oh, I'm all about this. And it's like, yeah, no, it's not a hip symbol back then. It's like, okay, you take up your cross. That means you're carrying your cross as the Romans made people to your ultimate execution, you're still alive, but you're saying, this is where I'm going. You're dying to yourself. And Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. And it's like, whoa, hold on. If any culture doesn't like to not deny himself or herself, it's our culture, right? We're all about our personal comfort, and, you know, it, it's all about me. I'm raised from the time I'm this. It's all about you. I want you to be happy. I want you to be comfortable. 
the world revolves around you and that's great until two people come together and they realize, man, the world can't revolve around both of us. So I guess it needs to be me and then there's conflict that happens there, right? When two worlds are revolving and it's just, anyhow, it gets messy. I hear that happens sometimes when people get married. But I haven't really experienced that, but he says, you gotta deny yourself, you gotta take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And it's like, okay, Jesus is talking crazy talk here. Right? You lose your life, you save it. You save your life, you lose it. What is Jesus talking about here? So he's saying some stuff that the disciples, I'm sure, are just scratching their head. And it's like, what does this mean? The let go of my life is how I experience life. Because the world says how I experience life is to grab as much stuff as I can, Right? and get it all and protect it all and keep it all and keep other people from getting that. And I want to accumulate that and be safe in that little zone of bubbles, which we learned a lot about in this last year until it's all over and hopefully I'll live long and won't be bothered too much. But Jesus says, I want you to deny yourself and not worry about saving your life and in essence give your life away because that's how you'll gain and he says, verse 25, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What does it profit a man or woman if you're Elon Musk and you've got billions and zillions of dollars and Bill Gates or Steve Jobs? What does it profit Steve Jobs now that he's passing on all those multiple billions of I don't got the products, but what is the product? Steve Jobs right now. But I tell you truly. No, this was verse, verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the Holy Angels. Okay, this is something new, this Son of Man coming in his glory. Again, taking us back to Daniel 7, where the Son of Man comes destroying all earthly kingdoms it sets up his kingdom not a kingdom made by hands by human efforts but i tell you truly there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of god it's like okay well what is he talking about here so if the kingdom is supposed to come at the end right when god wraps up all things when the messiah comes and he says there's some that are standing right here that aren't going to die before they see the kingdom of god coming again and it's interesting, the story we're going to look at next is in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in each one of them, this is the statement that happens right before the event that we call the Transfiguration. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, literally his exodus, which he was about to accomplish or fulfill at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. These guys can sleep at any time. <laughs> but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good 
that we are here. Let us make three tents or tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Luke, in the little parentheses, kind of the narrator to the site, he had no clue what he was talking about. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So here, Jesus has been confessed as the Christ by Peter. And then he says, Okay, this is what's going to happen to the Son of Man. This figure that's coming, he's going to be rejected, he's going to be crucified, basically, and he's going to rise again. And in light of that, I want you guys to be willing to take up your cross, to deny yourself, to live for something bigger than you, because that's how you really gain life. And one day I'm coming back in glory. And by the way, there's a few here that are not going to die before they see the kingdom of God. And then eight days later, about eight days later, Luke tells us they're up on the mountain and all this happens, and Jesus literally is metamorphosized, he's transfigured. The other synoptics tell us here it's just his face was changed. In Mark, I think it says his face shone like the sun. Okay? It's not good to look at the sun. I'm sure we all have that and have that after thing in your eyes afterwards. But that's Jesus right there. And then Moses and Elijah are up there as well, two figures that were super well-respected by the Jewish culture, right, at that time. Here's Moses, the one that brought them out of Egypt, the one that was responsible through God's power for the birth of this nation that we've been looking at in the book of Exodus and all the things that God did through him to bring his people out of slavery into ultimately this promised land. And then Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, the one that had a showdown with the prophets of Baal that did all this great stuff in bringing God's word to a kind of stubborn people. And these were two people that were highly respected. And, and they're up there and, and they're talking with Jesus. And, and it says the disciples were asleep. I don't know. This is probably happening on Mount Hermon. It's about a 9,000 foot elevation. We don't know how high up they were, but it's like it was really a tiring climb. And, and they either fall asleep, but also in Daniel. When he gets these visions, he falls asleep as well. So falling asleep can be a euphemism for falling face down and going out for fainting. So it may be the glory of God as Jesus reveals himself and God the Father reveals who he is to these disciples, just blows them away. And then they're coming too, basically. And they hear that they're talking about Jesus' exodus, his departure. And that can be used of death. But I think... This is a purposeful link back to the Exodus. Jesus' Exodus that he was going to, my translation says, accomplish, some say fulfill in Jerusalem. It's the word used of fulfilled prophecy. So this idea is they're talking to Jesus like, okay, how are you going to bring about your Exodus? What's going to be involved in that that you're going to fulfill in Jerusalem? And it's this Amazing combination and this link back to, as a Jew is thinking it's like, okay, we were freed in the first Exodus, but this Messiah, this Jesus now, he's here. And Moses and Elijah are both talking to him about his Exodus that's going to come. And we know after being on the other side of these events, what happened. That Jesus came and through his death, he brought us freedom. 
And it wasn't freedom in a political sense, but it was freedom in a spiritual sense, because the scripture says that we are all enslaved to sin and self and in bondage as we go through this life. That's just the reality. We want to say we're free, we can do whatever we want, but we recognize if you live a little bit longer, all those things that we look to for life ultimately get a grip on our life, and then we have to have those things, and then we're enslaved to those things. Just look at our culture. We have a highly addictive culture, right? Because we're looking to something else other than God to provide us with life. And these guys are talking with Jesus. Mo and Eli are up there, and they're having a conversation, and they're saying, hey, what about your exodus? How are you going to accomplish this? What are you going to do? And then Peter kind of gets roused out of his sleep. And then as Peter often has foot in mouth disease, that he just says something, right? And he's just like, oh, you know, and it may be out of a desire. Oh, we want to keep this moment going. So, so let's build some like tabernacles, literally tents, hearkening back again, I think, to exodus and just all these illusions back there. And it's like, we want this event to keep going, and, and we'll make one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he's talking, and it's as if God shows up in this cloud and says, shut up, Peter. Zip it. Right when he's talking, it says the cloud comes in. It's like, oh. And he says they were terrified. Again, this should take us back to Exodus, right? The cloud on the mountain, and the people were terrified by the presence of God. This is a holy and righteous God. But I think why God the Father showed up in power at this point in time is because Peter was just equating Jesus and Elijah and Moses. They're all kind of the same. They're, you know, let's put them all on the same level here. And God shows up. And he says, after they disappear, this is my son. This one is unique. The only begotten, that's the old translation, literally that word means one of a kind genetically, monogenes. He's the unique son of God. This is my son. Yes, Moses is important. Yes, Elijah is important. But they are not my son in this unique way. He's my chosen one. It harkens back to Isaiah 42.1. This is my chosen one in whom I delight, talking about the servant again there. So there's all these links back to the Old Testament. So this is who my son is. He's the servant. Yes, he's the Messiah. He's the king. And he says, listen to him. Interesting. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses says that there's going to be another prophet that's coming that's going to be like me. And then he says, you must listen to him. Him in Deuteronomy 18, 15. And again, there's all of these links. God says, this is that coming prophet. This is my son. This is the one that you need to listen to. And Jesus is there, and then he's there all alone. He's unique. So this is the Father's answer to the question, who do you say that I am? The Father responds, without any equivocation, this is my son. Yeah, I know 
as Jews, Moses and Elijah are super important to you. This is not a sin. This is not a sin. He's chosen. All this was laid out before one nanosecond of time came to be. He was chosen before the foundation of the world and us through him in that way. Be the same. I'm trying to imagine what it would have been like. And I think, you know, oh, we want to stay up here, right? I don't know why Jesus just picked, you know, a few of his disciples to be up there with him. It may have been that they had some really rough stuff to go through later on, and they're constantly going back to this, and this is who this Jesus is that we're serving, even though it's gotten really rough and difficult, and even though we may lose our life about this because we know we serve a king that's come and will come again in glory. But that's the Father's answer to the question. And so, my question to you, if you've answered the first question, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. My second question for you is, are you listening to him? Are you listening to his promises to forgive you if you trust in him? Are you listening to his assurance that he will receive you if you come to him, acknowledge your sin, regardless of what happened in your past? Are you listening to his comfort when he says that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you? Are you listening to his offer to you to find peace and rest for your souls in this world? Are you listening to his sober truth that there is a coming judgment for the lost and the cruel? Are you listening to his call to love your neighbor as yourself? Are you listening to his call to give away your life so that you can experience life? Are you listening to his call to forgive those that are going to be around you, even if they are enemies? Are you listening to his call to pursue purity of mind and of body? Are you listening to his call to be great and being a servant of all? Are you listening to his call to seek first his kingdom and let him take care of the rest of the issues? And I could go on and on and on. You see, to me, if Jesus means anything, he should mean everything. And as you approach someone that is this glorious, I don't think we as an option can say, Jesus, I'll take this part of what you said, but not really into that. And I know that's the world we live in. And I know that there are even people that say, I'm, I'm all about Jesus, but it's just Jesus, I'm going to blow you off in so many areas of my life, and I'm just going to live my life. 
And the reason I know that, because I was like that for a while in my life. Until God grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, hey, I either exist and I am Jesus, or I don't, and if I do, you need to make some changes in your life. And sometimes it takes a while to get there. And I want to give space for that, and I want to be a church that gives space for that. But I don't want to give space for just this kind of, oh, we're just going to remain whatever, whenever, and never even pursue that. If you've got questions, wrestle with those questions. If you've got issues, of, I really don't like this about the Bible. Okay, let's talk about that. It's probably not, you're probably not the only person in all of history that has wrestled with this. Well, what about all the evil in the world? Wow, I don't think any Christian has ever thought about that problem. It's like, that's probably been dealt with before. Let's push into that. I don't like this about the Bible because it just doesn't seem very nice. It's like, okay, there's stuff in the Bible that I don't like. But I don't think I'm the one that has the option of making the rules and saying this is what leads to life. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a human being, but that ends in death. So sometimes I may be totally convinced that this is the right way, and God's saying, it's not. Am I humble enough to bow the knee before this glorified risen Savior and say, I don't like this, this is really hard, but I'm going to go your way because I trust you. If I don't believe in Jesus because I think he's going to make my life better, I believe in Jesus because I think he's the risen Savior that I owe all of my allegiance and my very life to. And I can't come to him and just pick and choose what I like about him and ignore the rest. It's an offense to a holy and righteous God. I can come with my questions, but I come with a humble heart before him and say, I just can't figure this out. So wrestle through those with other people. Look through those, but don't ah, you get in a position where you are judging God. And that's a pretty, pretty arrogant stance. Especially if what we look at this morning really happened. This is the king of the universe, right? You know, it's not the one that just distributes Biden bucks. Or <laughs> this is the king that controls all things. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. He's king. He's next. And I can bow my knee now. Willingly before him, or I will bow and labor up and control him because he is a holy and righteous and powerful God. But if I'm willing to come now, he will not cast me out, he will receive me, he will forgive me, he will bring me into his family, embrace me as his child, and then begin to work out the details of my life, even as I wrestle with some of these questions. He's a good, good God, a good, good Savior. But he is God. It's not to be trivialized. It's not to be viewed as just a little bit bigger version of me. No, this Jesus is the one. John's buddy, buddy with him. He's the one that's leaning back on the table. This is the Jesus that shows up in Revelation and overwhelms John. And it's like, ooh. And this is a little trailer of Jesus, Lord, that the Father shows of his disciples. This is the kingdom that's coming. And I know in the midst of the world that we live in, I long for that kingdom. 
where he restores all things, where nothing is broken again. There's no pain, there's no difficult, there's no heartache, there's no disease, there's no COVID, there's no stupid viruses that knock us out, there's no personal con- all that stuff will be gone. And I long for that. But in the meantime, God's calling me to live listening to his son. The son. So I end with my question again. Who do you say Jesus is? It's Easter. And that's also communion Sunday. So it's a beautiful time to remember both what Jesus did for us on the cross and that he conquered death and rose again. Praise teams can come up and they're going to sing a song. But I just want you to be kinder right now in your own heart. Who is this Jesus? Who do I really think he is? Not the religious answer, not the answer that I think I want my parents to hear or the people around me to hear, but who do I really think Jesus is? Because to me, that's the most important question you can ask. And if you're uncertain, that's okay, but press into finding out. Don't live in that uncertainty. If you've got questions, ask somebody, pick up one of the books back there, but push into this. I know I ignored that question for a long time in my life because then I could just live my life like I wanted to live it without being bothered by Jesus. But one day he said, you've got to figure out who I am. So just ask yourself that question. And if you have trusted Jesus Christ, if you have acknowledged that he died for you and that you need a Savior and you put your life in his hands and you're seeking to live that life through his power, and I think this time of communion is a time in which to examine ourselves and to ask those hard questions. Am I really listening to Jesus? Or is Jesus just one of many voices that I listen to? And Jordan Peterson says this, and you know, the difference? I'm going to go Who am I listening to? I'd rather listen to the one that designed me, the one that holds every molecule of my body together by his power and will ultimately bring me home to any humanity. And I hope you want to listen to that voice.